0: Good morning! If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to get there in just a minute. And also, did everybody get a bulletin? We need everybody to have a bulletin because we have sermon notes in the bulletin. Anybody not get a bulletin? you like a bulletin? Alright, if you guys will help hand those out. i got a couple guys. Anybody not get a bulletin? Alright, you need one up there? No, okay. Someone goes, I don't really need one. Alright, anyway. Good to see you guys. Again, there'll be some blanks. encourage you to fill those out as we go along, all right? Let me back up here, all right? So our mission team is coming back today, so pray for them as they travel back. They left Thursday morning about 9 o'clock, coming back tonight, so pray for them as they get back. Brett said they were having an amazing time. And so on Sunday morning, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and one of the questions, as we mentioned last week, is, is Jesus enough? Really, in life, when it's all said and done, and all the things that we face in life, is Jesus enough to get us through every day? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these readers to not go back. That truly everything you're looking for in life, ultimately, you can find in Jesus. All right? Now, there are five books in the New Testament that are specifically addressed to a Jewish audience, to Jewish believers. Obviously, there's application for all of this, but if you have your notes there, you can fill in Matthew, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and the book of Hebrews, all right? Those are the five books specifically addressed to Jewish believers, all right? As we mentioned last week, as the writer is writing to these believers, they were really at a fork in the road, and he's trying to encourage them To take the fork toward Jesus, to go toward freedom in Christ, and not to go back to the law. Now, you got to understand how difficult it was for these early believers. If they would embrace Uh, Judaism. Judaism was an accepted religion by the Roman government. So you can see how easy it was to go back to Judaism and go back and live under the old covenant because that would have been accepted by the Roman government. But they did not accept Christianity. So to choose Jesus meant oftentimes a loss of job. It often meant heavy persecution, it maybe meant prison time, and so you can see how tempting it was for these people to go back. But the writer's trying to encourage them not to go back, but to keep moving forward. And so I entitled the book of Hebrews, Encouragement for the Journey. And I come up with that title by the author's own words here in Hebrews 13, verse 22. Let's read together this particular verse, and this is how the Amplified. He says, I call on you, brothers and sisters, listen patiently to this message of exhortation and encouragement, for I have written to you briefly. Thirteen chapters, he calls it brief. And again, when a pastor gets up and says, I just have a few things to say, Don't believe him. He's He's got more than that. He's got more than that. But that's why I call it encouragement for the journey. I love that title because no matter how far we are in the Christian life, always need encouragement. That's why later in the book of Hebrews, he says, encourage one another daily. And every day we need some people to encourage us. And so the New Testament church, as he was writing to these Jewish believers Again, the temptation was to go back. And again, we can understand why. Because it would have been so much easier on their family, so much easier on their life. But he's trying to encourage them to burn the bridge to go back. Now again, most of the time we're told not to burn the bridges behind us. And in many cases in life, that's good. But when it comes to walking away from Jesus... We want to burn every bridge behind us, and we only want to go forward. So he's encouraging them to burn the bridge, not to go back to Judaism, but to keep walking with God, to keep their eyes on Jesus. Now, as we're getting through the book, this is an important principle. How many of you know what these five pictures are? And you can ask anybody around you. All right, nothing complicated. They're just shadows, right? But one of these shadows means a lot to me. One of these shadows in my book means so much more than the other four. And I'll take away the ones that aren't as connected to me. So this shadow here is really important to me. How many want to guess what the shadow is? Several of you said Brenda, all right. And it is, it's it's Brenda. So this week, this week I asked Brenda, she was working. I said, let's go outside for a minute. And how many of you know It's not easy being married to me. So she goes outside goes, what are we doing? I said, I want to get a picture. And so she was kind of getting all, I said, no, not, I just want to get a picture of your shadow. She could have took offense at that. But being a good pastor's wife, she just let me take the picture of her shadow. She goes, I want to see it. Make sure it's okay before you show it. And so I took a picture of her shadow. Didn't even really explain to her. I said, I see a picture of your shadow. She went out. She took, let me take a picture of her shadow. Now, how many of you know that her shadow is important to me, but the shadow is not Brenda? The shadow is a reminder there is some substance there. But what would happen if I fell in love with her shadow and not her? What if I went down to a ball game and took her shadow with me and not her? How many of you think that would be a little weird? If you don't think that's weird, you're weird, all right, (laughs) if I can say that. So obviously, I've been to a ballgame with some of you. I've never seen you take your spouse's shadow, all right? Or what if we went out for our anniversary and I just took her shadow with me? Uh, First of all, I just want to go on record as saying I would save money. (laughs) Shadows don't eat much. But obviously, the shadow is a reminder of something real. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Jewish believers that everything in the first covenant was a shadow of the real thing. But once Christ comes, once the substance comes, why would you go back to the shadow? Doesn't make any sense that you would go back under the first covenant, because once Christ comes, he is the substance. And if you understand that, you will get the book of Hebrews. Because every chapter, he's hammering home that Christ is the substance. He's greater than everything in the Old Covenant. And once you have Christ, why would you ever want to go back to the shadows? It doesn't make any sense that you would give up Christ and go back to the shadows. So if you get that picture and that image in your mind, it's going to help you understand the book of Hebrews. All right, And so, obviously... A saying here, and if you can write this down and think about it, it will forever change your view of the book of Hebrews. This is my statement. When you have the substance, you automatically have the shadow. All right? When you have the substance, I don't need to take her shadow. If I take Brenda with me, I have her shadow. When you have Christ, you have the fulfillment of everything the first covenant ever emphasized. And when you understand that, again, how foolish it would be to give up Christ and to walk back under the old covenant that was merely a shadow of things to come. You say you have a scripture for that. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And so let me give you a couple scriptures. In Hebrews 10, I know we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But notice what Hebrews 10 verse 1 says. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, But not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So all the law was merely a shadow and pointed forward to the substance. They were real, they were good, the shadows were good, but once Christ comes, who is the substance, why would we ever go back and hang out with the shadows? Doesn't make any sense. Let me give you another one in the book of Colossians chapter 2, because many times people get saved, and then they begin to go back and live under the old covenant. Notice what Paul says here in Colossians, let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are what? Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. And again, I love how many of you have ever been in a service where a Jewish organization came and they presented Jesus in the Passover. Beautiful presentation. I mean, can I tell you every feast that the Jews celebrated in the Old Testament pointed people to Jesus? All the feasts, all the festivals, all the sabbaths were all shadows pointing people to the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. But once you have Jesus, once you have the substance, why would you go back and want to live with the shadows? It doesn't make any sense. All right, so the writer talks about that. So let's read our text. By the way, we're supposed to do a chapter every Sunday, a chapter every Sunday, and I'm starting off bad. I'm only going to do three verses. So next week, i got to do a chapter and a half. Pray for me, pray for me. Three verses, because we're going to celebrate communion at the end of this. And so I, I, we're laying the foundation, and again, if you'll understand the difference between substance and shadow, it'll help you in the book of Hebrews, because the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't ever go back. Don't go back. Why would you go back if you have the substance? All right, so I'm going to read the yellow. You guys read the white. You guys got the best part. I gave you the, the best part. All right, so everybody's got to read together on the white. All right, I'll read the yellow. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, whom he has appointed heir of all things, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, when he had by himself purged our sins, So the book starts off, and he right off at the beginning, all through the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better, Jesus is greater, Jesus is, is, is more superior. And so he starts off with the prophets. So kind of summarizing the first three verses, which kind of sets the pace for the book of Hebrews, the writer is saying that Jesus, the substance, is superior, greater than the prophets, which is just a shadow. So the prophets were awesome, the prophets were great, the prophets spoke on behalf of God, but how much greater than speaking about God is when Jesus shows up as God and speaks for himself. So let's go back and just look at the first few verses as we kind of set the pace. So he starts off by saying that God in various times, and these are some blanks you can fill in on your notes, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers. By the prophets. Now again, the prophets just heard from God, and they would say, Thus saith the Lord. And sometimes their message had an immediate application. Sometimes it was prophetic and had a long-term application. But the, the role of the prophet was to hear from God and to deliver that message. Thus saith the Lord. But the prophets weren't perfect. The prophets had to offer up sacrifices like everybody else because their life fell short. And so how did God speak to the prophets? Three ways, That just in general. I think there may be other ways. But many many times he spoke face-to-face. You remember he said to Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister, he said to Moses, I speak face-to-face. And so God would speak face-to-face with Moses. But he said many of the prophets, he says there in Numbers 12, I speak to them in visions and dreams. So oftentimes a prophet would get a message from God through a vision or a dream. And then there's Elijah. You remember in the cave, Elijah heard that still, small voice. Sometimes God speaks in that still, small voice. So God spoke in various ways to various prophets down through the years, and we could go back and preach a message about each prophet, and they were all amazing. But can I tell you, they were only speaking about the Messiah that would come. All of their ministry was pointing people one day to the substance, the Christ that would ultimately come. And now that Jesus has come, the writer of Hebrews says, why would you want to go back and live under the shadow of the prophets? You have a greater message from God. Not just somebody talking about God, but you had God that came down, got in an earth suit, and spoke directly from, from himself. It's better. All right, so let's look at seven things the writer says about Jesus as we're getting ready to celebrate communion this morning. Seven things he says about Jesus. Number one, Jesus has been appointed heir of all things, he literally owns it all. The God the Father has given the Son heir of all things, and we would all agree with that. But here's what's crazy here's what's crazy. uh, Paul says in Romans 8, if we are children, then we too are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. He has given us joint heirship of everything that he has. I need somebody to grunt or something right there. I mean, if you found out you were the heir of a Walmart in Fortune, you guys would have a happy day. There'd be a little shouting, a little Baptist boogie. I'm telling you, when you think about it, not only is he the heir of all things, but because we're in Christ, he's sharing that with us. Some of you, when you're driving home, are going to have to pull over and have a spell. Whoa, I just found out I am an heir of everything God has, which is everything. I love that verse in Revelation He's talking to one of the churches. He says, to those who overcome, the believers, I'm going to let you sit on my throne with me. Squishy now that one with Jesus. When it's my turn, I want you guys to look and say, that's impossible. I knew him. That, that, that guy doesn't deserve it. That's grace. He not only wants us in heaven, man, he wants to share... All the inheritance that he has with us. Why would we go back to the shadow when we have Christ? I mean, if we ever realize what we have in Jesus, it's not about a church or denial. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Once you discover that, why would you ever go back? Crazy. That's statement number one. Number two, Jesus made the worlds. Which also could be translated, he made the ages. Now, I know people say to me, well, pastor, back in the beginning, it says God made. Is it God that made, or is it Jesus that made? Yes, because he is God. But the New Testament tells us specifically the part of the Trinity that created everything was Jesus. Let me give you a couple verses. John 1 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He made everything. He's the creator of the universe. Everything was made by him and for him. And you're a joint heir. You're somebody. You can go into work tomorrow and go, whoopee! I just found out I am I'm an heir to everything God has. They'll think you're drunk. They haven't seen Christians happy that much. Because we look around, we see all our... You guys, I got to get going. All right, Colossians 1. Paul says this in Colossians, talking about Jesus creating. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator. And if you have Jesus in your heart, You have the best God has. Everything under the first covenant was just a mere shadow. It was just a mere shadow pointing us to the substance of Christ. We are so blessed to live under the new covenant. We are so blessed not just to hear one day the Messiah was coming, but we get to enjoy the Messiah and the benefits of the Messiah. Number three, Jesus is the brightness of his glory. You know, he summarized all the hundreds of prophets in a half a sentence. But for Jesus, he slows down he makes seven statements. He says about Jesus, he's the brightness of his glory. He's not saying that Jesus was a reflection of God's glory, kind of like the moon reflects the sun. He's saying that he possessed God's glory because he was God. God, who is a spirit, The Shekinah glory of God came down to earth, took on an earth suit, and the reason people couldn't see the glory of God is they saw the earth suit. But you remember when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, for a brief moment he stepped out of his earth suit and they saw the glory of God. Listen to what John says about Jesus. John 1.14 The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Shekinah glory of God because he is God. And if you have Jesus living inside of you, I want to tell you how crazy it is. The very presence of God lives in every believer. And we're running around trying to, find what, trying to find purpose and meaning and happiness in life. And, and we're all on a search trying to find out what is the meaning of life. And when you discover you already have, as a believer, everything God wants to give you, it will change your life. It will literally change your life when you realize everything God has is in Jesus. In the book of Colossians, it says this. Talking about Jesus, and this is out of the Amplified. He is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. So I said, what's God like? What would God be like if he were down on earth? Just, Just study the life of Jesus. He was God in an earth suit. Not only what he said was God's message, but everything he did was God's message. He literally was God in the flesh. Remember what the angel said to Joseph? You're going to call his name Emmanuel, which being translated is what? God with us. How much greater, I mean, the prophets were amazing. The prophets were unbelievable as they were talking about the Messiah. But how much more is God himself coming down in an earth suit? How much more powerful is that? Number 5, Jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power. By the way, when he created everything, according to Hebrews 11:3, he spoke the world into existence. The power of the spoken word. In the beginning God said, "Let there be light." Boom, there was light. He didn't roll up his sleeves and he just spoke the world into existence. When Jesus walked this earth, everything he said was God speaking. Can you imagine if he would have not watched his words? How many of you have ever said something you shouldn't have said? You no good jalopy! You're a piece of trash! Why don't you ever run? Remember when he cursed the fig tree? All he said was, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. That was it. Just, Just... let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples said he cursed the fig tree. Because when he said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, what was the chances of that fig tree bearing fruit? Zero. So he had to watch what he said. When he said, Lazarus, come forth, if he would have just went to the grave and said, come forth, everybody would have to come forth. Can you imagine how he had to watch his words? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I love how John 6 says this. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. I want to tell you, his word is powerful. His word produces life. And we need to hang on to the words that he speaks. Number six, Jesus by himself purged our sins. Man, we get in the middle part of Hebrews. We need to have the communion every Sunday. It's that good. I mean, he's talking about all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sacrifices every year, every year, every year, and the reason there was hundreds of sacrifices year after year after year, they never, ever took away sin. But when Jesus came, His one death once and for all, not only forgave but removed the penalty of sin. If this doesn't excite you, your, your logs are wet. Listen to what it says, Hebrews 10. By one offering, he has perfected forever and completely cleansed those who are being sanctified. You are a work in progress. But I want you to know that when you accept Christ into your life, he forgives you forever. Never will he put sin in your account ever, ever. Because if if we were always sinners before God, Jesus would have to come every year and die again. Why did he only die once? Because he not only forgave us, but as far as the east is from the west, he has removed sin. You guys don't get happy very much, do you? I know we're Baptists, but every once in a while, get free. We're talking about Jesus. All right, better go on. Hebrews 10, 17, a few verses later, listen to this. I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. God said that. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. He forgives you for present, future, and past sins. You say, how how can he forgive us of something in the future? You better hope that he can because he died 2,000 years ago. I'm, here to, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You're not only forgiven, but he chooses to forget. One of my favorite stories of all time was a, was a lady always said she heard from God. She always heard from God. And so the pastor was tired of her saying, I always hear from God, I always hear from God. And so he said to the lady, I want you to ask God this week what sin I committed last week. I want you to ask God that. Now, I would never ask anybody because I'm afraid God might tell them. But anyway, So he said, I want you to go ask what sin I committed last week. So next week, she came to church. He said, did you talk to God this week? Yes, I did. Did you ask God what sin I committed last week? He said, yes, I did. She said, yes, I did. He said, what did God say? She looked up at him and said, he said he doesn't remember. That's good, man. You need to write that down. See, we we sometimes remember what our spouse did, but can I tell you? Let let me just give you Romans, because... Romans will make you happy. If you're on the edge of happiness, I just want to push you in, all right? Push you in. Romans 4. This is worth writing it down, Romans 4. Listen to what Paul said. He's quoting David from Psalms 32. He's quoting David. And David said, Man, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. David knew under the old covenant sin was never done away with, but he knew one day, one day after the Messiah died, sin would not only be forgiven, but forgotten and cleansed forever. He says, God will not impute sin, He will not put sin on your account ever, ever. And we beat ourselves up, and yeah, we're a work in progress, we're not perfect. But I'm going to tell you something. God does not see you as an old sinner saved by grace. He sees you as his child who's been forgiven and cleansed. And it says later in the book of Hebrews, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why can we? Because God doesn't see us as sinners. Sin's been taken care of. And 24-7 we can approach God, come boldly to the throne because of Jesus' death. Whew. Man, under the old covenant, only the high priest could go in once a year. And he had to watch it because he was offering up blood even for himself. But under the new covenant, one sacrifice forever, forever. You are cleansed, forgiven. God has forgotten. You are somebody in God's sight. You are his child. Why would you go back to a system that never took care of sin? doesn't make any sense. You guys are going to have to listen faster. Okay. Number seven. Last thing he said. After he purged his sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You know, the high priest in the old covenant, could could, there was no chairs in the Holy of Holies. He was not allowed to go sit down and take a, a breather. But can I tell you, our high priest, Jesus, after he offered up that one sacrifice, the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the Father. You say, why was he able to sit down? Because his work as high priest was over. There is no more sacrifices. There is no more offering for sin. His one sacrifice, once and for all, forgave and God has chosen to forget our sin. And he will never Paul says in Romans 4, he will never impute sin to you. He will never put sin on your account. I don't think a Christian will ever stand before God and give an account of sin, ever. Because it was taken care of at Calvary. Now, we are going to be judged by our works But once you discover who you are in Christ, the book of Hebrews is just hammering home, you have Christ. Why would you go back? Doesn't make any sense to leave the substance and go back to the shadow. Doesn't make any sense. And man, we need that message today so well. Paul has a a prayer for the church at Ephesus, and he's just praying that God would open their eyes to see who they are in Christ. So let's read this prayer. By the way, if you're looking for a good prayer for your children or grandchildren, this is one you might consider praying every day. Let's read together. This is Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Paul's praying, if you could just understand who you are in Christ. If you could understand what God did for you at Calvary, that you're not only forgiven, but you're forever uh, uh, cleansed in God's sight. You're completely cleansed. So again, if we were to modernize it, I think the church today is facing some tough times. I'm just just telling you, it's tough. We're facing things. Are we going to have World War III? Man, our economy's crazy. How in the world are we going to survive? I'll tell you how we're going to survive. We're going to survive by faith. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, and we're going to keep believing that Jesus is enough. I can't imagine how relevant the book of Hebrews is for today because it is crazy out there. Christianity is not the most popular thing in our world. And somehow we may have to choose between following Christ and declaring Christ and walking away and denying Christ. But there is nothing greater than Christ. Boy, the book of Hebrews is so relevant for our time. And we too need to burn all the bridges behind us. We need to determine, as we're going through the book of Hebrews, there is no retreat, there is no return. We're going forward. By the grace of God, man, we're just going to live every day and hold on to Jesus. So last week, I I got our actual picture up here. By the way, you guys have inspired me. Next week, this is going to look different up here. You guys have inspired me. Say, Pastor, that's not altogether right what but you've inspired me so next week it's going to look different all right next week it's going to look different you say why would we have no fishing in the baptismal waters as i mentioned last week you know baptism what a beautiful picture of of christ coming into our life as we put someone down in the water it's a picture of their old life being buried and as they come up out of that water it's representing that god's given them new life in christ man it's a celebration But once we come out of that water, we shouldn't go back and begin to fish out stuff that we died to. Even as Christians today, if things aren't going exactly how we think they should go, sometimes we go back to the old life and we begin to dredge up some of that stuff that we died to, trying to find happiness and fulfillment. Can I tell you, there's nothing in your baptismal waters that will ever produce happiness other than Jesus. And I believe that we too, again, the book of Hebrews is so relevant for today. So next week, God willing, we're going to do a chapter and a half. Pray for me, pray for me. I had 14 verses today. I only did three. I only did three. How many of you are glad I didn't do the whole chapter? Next week, this week was Jesus is greater than the prophets. Next week, he's greater than the angels. Phew. And by the time Hebrews is over, you guys are going to be happy. (laughs) Or you need to get saved. You really have something amazing. As David said, I just can't imagine the day. I can't imagine the day where God will not only forgive, but he will never, ever put sin to their account. They never got to experience that in the Old Covenant. So this morning, we're going to celebrate communion, and so I'm asked David to come. We're going to sing the same song we sang last week, Jesus is the Answer. If you're here today, and maybe you're not 100% sure that if you were to die today, that you would be welcomed into the kingdom of God. It, it has nothing to do with what kind of life you live, what kind of person you were. Hopefully you were a good person. But the one thing that really matters is, did we accept the gift of His Son? John says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I want to pray a prayer. We prayed it last week, and maybe you've prayed it a thousand times. I'm going to ask everybody just to pray it out loud, but maybe there's somebody here today for the very first time. You just feel a tug in your heart, and you know that today you need to give your heart and life to Jesus. If you're here this morning as a believer, we all just need to recommit our life to Jesus. But Everybody pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want to encourage you to share that. Greatest decision you can ever make. If you've never been baptized by immersion, that's step one. Baptism doesn't save you, doesn't wash any sin away, but it declares to everybody, my old life is buried, that God has given me new life. It's a great celebration of worship. I want us all to stand together as we sing Jesus is the answer. If you need to slip out and come for prayer or if you prayed that prayer and you just want to come and say, I prayed that prayer, let's just, let's just declare that Jesus is the answer. I believe the Bible teaches we're each to examine our own heart. And so I believe it's an individual choice. Yeah, you know, again, people say to me, Does it, can it, is it possible for it to become routine? I hope not. Whenever communion becomes routine, man, our heart is cold. I think every Sunday we talk about Hebrews, man, I could celebrate communion every Sunday. Because it's all about Jesus. By the way, I, I just want to say the whole Old Testament's all about Jesus. And so if somebody asks you, what did the preacher preach about? Just say it was about Jesus, and you're going to be right, 90, hopefully 100% of the time. All right, if you have a communion cup, I want you to turn it with the juice down if you haven't taken any tabs off. Don't turn it upside down if the tab's off. Then you can take the cracker out of the bottom and then turn it with the juice up. And then peel that back, and we're going to take both at the same time in just a minute. So Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. Can you imagine anything greater to proclaim than the ultimate gift of God's Son? I hope as a Christian you don't live below the circumstances. I hope you enjoy everything God intends for us to enjoy, and I said last week when we get to heaven, I think we're going to really be surprised that everything we were ever looking for in this life we already had in Jesus, but we just didn't discover it. So Hebrews is about discovering who Jesus is. So as we eat the bread and drink the cup, I just want us to look up and just say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Let's eat the bread and drink the cup. If you will, on the way out, there's a trash can in the back. If, you'll, if you don't mind just dropping these in there. If anyone wants a baby bottle to fill up, this is a local organization that's pro-life, and so we're supporting an organization here close. And so again, if that's something God lays on your heart, you can grab a baby bottle, just put some spare change, and we'll collect those on April 10th. Love you guys. Hope you have a great week, and I hope you discover who you are in Christ. Pray for me next week that I can do a chapter and a half.